0: Welcome back into the Lines 24-7 Podcast. I am Tyler Donahue as we guide you through this first week of July. Last episode had a lot of fun breaking things down with Peter Gonzalez in addition to the 2024 Penn State recruiting class in June. He joined us for a detailed discussion on his path to this Penn State class, his recovery from a uh, knee injury that he suffered early in 2022, and what he's looking forward to most about this upcoming senior season at Central Catholic in Pittsburgh. We also had Tyler Calvaruso, our resident recruiting insider, join us to break down the latest on 2024 class movement, a commitment. Commitments are scheduled. Circle back, check that out from Monday if you missed it. We had that one up before the holiday. Here, we're going to put a lot of focus on quarterbacks. You'll hear from Daniel Gallen a little bit later. We have five questions to address regarding Penn State here in the summer, still about a month away from preseason camp. But we begin with great perspective, and I think uh, what will be appreciated listen for many of our uh, audience out there, and Brad Mendler. um, It's a familiar name increasingly, I think, for Penn State fans. But Brad, you're a first-time visitor on this podcast, and we appreciate you for joining us.
1: Tyler, thanks for having me.
0: Well, I've had a couple of your pupils on the show in the past. We had Drew Aller uh, back in in his high school career on multiple times before he enrolled. And of course, Ethan Grunkemeyer more recently before he headed out to the Elite 11 Finals. We're going to talk about both those guys in a minute. But just to give folks a lay of the land a little bit. Brad is the owner of QB Accelerate, and he's not just working with Penn State commits uh, and Penn State quarterbacks. He's got a list of them. We're going to talk about another one, of them actually. But can you give our listeners out there, maybe some young quarterbacks out there who are seeking some guidance, kind of the lowdown on what you do and how you've gotten to this point in your career in football?
1: Sure. Um, so QB Accelerate became a thing officially December of 2021. Uh, but the previous 15 years I'd been doing it as a side hustle. Uh, I worked in corporate sales, and uh, this was always something that I sort of did on the side. Um, met a lot of great people, a lot of smart people along the way, learned a lot of really cool things. And I'm, I'm a tinkerer, so I, I learn things, I tinker, uh, I learn new things, you know, that, that, that kind of process. So I feel like I'm getting better every year, and in really like the last three to four years, we've really taken off. Um, so very excited about the future, We've got a, a facility that will be coming out uh, online in, in November of this year, and that's going to change things dramatically uh, for the business. Uh, we'll be able to scale and add more kids. And um, so uh, all I would say to interested parties is just hang tight. Uh, we're going to have a, a really good program and be able to add more people here in the very near future.
0: Oh, very cool. And, and you can follow Brad Mendler on Twitter. Uh, he's got some links up there, too, if, if you're looking for more information. Uh, and Brad, of course, a couple of notable guys who I think have probably generated more interest in what you are doing as a quarterback coach. Uh, Drew, Ethan, and, and I figured we'd start with Drew because everyone at this point in, in, in Penn State Nation uh, knows who who, who Drew, uh, Drew Aller is. Uh, he's a guy who uh, committed as a three star, I think ended up as a five-star by the time he signed, ended up playing more extensively last year than any true freshman quarterback at Penn State since Christian Hackenberg. And now, although we have not heard a starting quarterback name, the anticipation is he's going to be the guy who has the keys to this very talented offense come September 2nd against West Virginia. Before we get to where Drew is now, can you go back to the origin story where you came in contact with him and who he was then?
1: Yeah, so I I first learned about Drew uh, right after they lost their first playoff game his sophomore year and they played St. Ed's, which has sort of been, you know, the thousand pound gorilla in Ohio high school football for about 10 years now. And um, he threw for over 550 yards in a playoff game against St. Ed's and that never happens. And, And so that really caught my eye and I had heard from some other people like, Hey, you should take a look at this kid. He's got great size. And so I watched the highlights of that game and you could just see it like, like, the, all the tools were there. It was just not very refined. He looked a lot like a pitcher throwing off a mound when he was, uh, when he was throwing the football. So I just reached out to him and I said, Hey, you know, watched you great job. Um, I, you know, I see some things that I think are, are great. I see some things that you could make you an elite quarterback if you could build consistency and discipline around it. So um, liked. The message. Uh, we met and and started working officially like January of uh, 2020, and um, you know it's kind of a it's kind of a you know semi rough couple of months uh, because you're you're you know you you build a, a way of throwing through repetitions through throwing it in the backyard uh, you know all those things and so he had a lot of um, he had a lot of things that he did that that just were very ingrained. So we had to kind of like unwind that stuff, teach him some new things, some new concepts. Um, And right about the time COVID hit, he really started to hit his stride. So we had to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? So I gave him things to work on during the COVID period. And when he emerged in May, I was I was like, wow, like you've really put the work in. And uh, and then from May to August, he made another leap. Because at that time his body started to come together. You know, he had this long, kind of gangly frame, uh, like a baby doe, and just had a hard time kind of like well, that went away. And now he's getting stronger. And his natural athleticism starting to bloom a little bit. And I and I've never seen anything like this. All of this all these things kind of coming together by August of twenty twenty, it was pretty crazy. So that's uh, that's that's how we started together.
0: You make a good point because a lot of this is happening under the, the cloak of darkness that was COVID on, on the recruiting world, on a lot of prospect development at every corner of the country back in 2020. Had he been able to go out and hit the camp scene that summer, maybe get no. to an Elite 11 regional, if he had been, if we were living in a normal world. Would have accelerated where he was as a prospect, or do you think he may not have been where he needed to be quite yet? I'm curious because it's a revisionist history kind of thing, and Penn State got in involved here before yeah. a lot of the the bigger time schools did. So I'm I'm wondering what you think about that.
1: No, that's a great question. He went to one camp that summer. It was not a college camp. It was put on by some recruiting service. I think it might have even been Buckeye Scoop. I'm not really sure, but. Um, that was the one camp that he went to had, and and I heard amazing things. And had he been able to go to college camps that summer, this thing would, it would have sped up the clock quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, because like I said, all of these things came together and he didn't look like this gangly kid who was a thrower, not a passer. Uh, he became a passer, you know, being able to layer the football, being able to, you know, take speeds, uh, you know, change speeds on the ball. Um, use different arm angles, you know what I mean? Like, like all those things would have, would have, you know, people would have seen that. And it, like I said, it would have started the clock a lot sooner.
0: So a little bit further along the timeline, January of 2021. Now um, Kirk Shiraka dismissed as offensive coordinator, Mike Yurcich brought in as the new offensive coordinator right after that COVID shortened season, we're all kind of getting our wrapping our heads around that move. And then we see new quarterback offers go out. One of them goes to a three-star in Ohio named Drew, and we all start to get to know the kid pretty fast. When did you first come in t- contact with Mike Yersich about Drew? I'm sure he was picking your brain there. Was it prior to him joining the Penn State staff? And what do you remember most about when Penn State did go in on this recruitment? How they got to the finish line?
1: Yeah, uh, Mike called me when he was at Texas, and uh, he said, I, "I I love him." He goes, "I you know I." I found out about him. Actually, I think he found out about him through his nephew who played for St. Ed's and was on that team that <laughs> threw through for 550 yards. I'd have to confirm that one, but, but Mike's a Cleveland guy. And so he heard and uh, watched this film and, and Mike's got a really good eye. Um, you know, he, 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 it was a very interesting time because uh, as you probably remember, Texas was stacked with quarterbacks in that class. And um, he said, Look, you know, this is not going to be popular if I do this, but I think Drew's the best for us and I'm going to offer him. Well, then I don't know. Within three weeks, that staff was fired. He was going to Penn State and we just picked up the conversations as soon as he, you know, he was driving to Penn State from Austin uh, about halfway, you know. Halfway there. And uh, we got on the phone. He's like, "Yep, I'm getting things set. I'm going to meet with coach, you know, uh, tomorrow. We're going to, you know, lay these things out. It was kind of fun to be like behind the scenes to see how this happened. But he was convinced that what he was seeing was was somebody who could be, you know, elite.
0: So he brings his notebook to James and 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 Drew's name's on there pretty clearly. The offer goes out there. They've got Bo Prabula committed, an in-state player. He'd been on board for a while. That didn't really disrupt their ambitions of going and getting the second quarterback. What will you remember, I guess, what do you still recall mostly about that recruitment and why, in your opinion, Drew decided to to hammer it home with Penn State and remain true to that all the way through signing day, even when some yeah. of the big fish started circling?
1: Yeah. Well, Penn State knows how to recruit. Um And I always say when you get Franklin and Yuricich and Danny O'Brien all working on a prospect, that's a, that's a money kind of proposition. And they, they nailed it. Um, And they, they created a bond. Um, The Allers are very humble people and um, Penn State staff just knew how to connect with them and they knew how to connect with Drew. And so uh, it was uh, it was sort of a fast friendship. Now it, it built right. Uh, there was a lot of contact points and and you know all of those things that we've come to expect through recruiting. But uh, relationally, they nailed it, and that was what won it for for Penn State.
0: Drew got involved quite a bit as a freshman, Sean Clifford, the starter all the way through, but uh, whether it was by design and on occasion by necessity, he was able to get some action. I think five total touchdowns, no interceptions on the season. What did you take away from the game reps and the practices that you may have been privy to? We heard a lot about what was going on behind the scenes. Overall, what was your big takeaway from year one for Drew Aller on this campus?
1: Yeah, um, well, I, I knew in his early enrollee spring – um, there was high points and low points, as you would expect. Still a high school kid, should be going to his prom, but, you know, he's there. He's at Penn State practicing. Um, but the, the elevation, the ascension from end of spring through the summer to fall camp, where he really established himself, he really started establishing himself during the summer after his early enrollee spring football year during the summer, I was he- hearing really good reports. Um, I uh, trained him several times in, uh, at Penn State, and so I was kind of milling around. And, you know, you just kind of you hear some bides and I, I just knew things were trending in a really good way. And then when I saw him going in Purdue, I, I really couldn't believe what I was seeing because, um, you know, first game of the year, um, you know, Sean uh, doesn't come out, um, you know, after halftime, and, and Drew's in the game. And yeah. I remember talking to Drew after the game, and I asked him. I said, "Were things just moving crazy fast?" He goes, Nope, they weren't." He goes, "I," he, he said, "It was actually slow." He goes, "I knew exactly what I was doing, and I saw things." And that that's that's the special part of Drew that I think Penn State fans are going to see is this dude's a football player. He just happens to have this, you know, crazy arm talent and this great frame, um, but he's a football player. With great anticipation and sees things, and he is uber prepared. Um, if you if you know if you get to know him a little bit, um, he's always early. He's always prepared. He puts in the time. He's never going to get caught not being you know prepared to 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 you know carry out his responsibilities. He's always going to know what he's supposed to do. And now as the quarterback of Penn State, you got to know what everybody's doing because you're the guy. So he's got those sort of intangibles that people don't know about yet, but they're going to see that this year.
0: On that subject, I think you brought up a good point. that The arm talent, the frame. We've seen dozens of quarterbacks the last 15, 20 years who've had that five-star profile, and it yeah. fizzled out once they hit the field at the college level. What yeah. we've been hearing, and I think what we saw glimpses of in his game action last year, is when the chaos begins to unfold around him, there's a calm, cool, collected nature that he can play within himself rearrange himself if need be behind the pocket and then reestablish James Franklin kind of gave us a a long winded answer about Drew's development and, and focused on that this summer and kind of peeled back the curtain a bit for us. What can you kind of mention, I guess, add into that aspect because that's what you never know when the bolts start flying. Is he going to be able to face them and then respond?
1: Yeah. um, And I, I don't know that I could say anything really more or better than what, you know, James, Coach Franklin outlined in, in, cause I listened to that. Um, sure. but that's what he does. Um, he's, he doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low, although he is very fiery. Like you can fire him up, but like mistakes are not going to crater him. You know what I mean? Like, it, like, okay, that happened last play. I don't even remember that. And you'll see it in his, in the confidence he has in his arm to make throws. Mm-hmm. I've seen guys who had all the talent in the world, and as soon as things went a little south, that you know that competitiveness that I'm gonna make that throw and I don't care what happens, I'm gonna make that play and nobody's going to stop me. You know what I mean? They don't have as much conviction around that and he that's what he does.
0: Uh, what we now we see a six foot five, two hundred and forty plus pound sophomore hitting the field, and we hearing we're hearing he's you know helping coordinate uh, the offensive players for for you know non staff involved workouts this summer, and, and that's going to be very important for this chemistry. But when you look ahead here into the twenty twenty three season and where Drew is at his development, you've been with him now for three plus years along the way. What are Penn State fans going to see when when he does uh, take over this thing ultimately?
1: Yeah. Um... He makes the routine plays, um, and then he has this ability to—he's a playmaker to make off-platform, off-schedule throws, very difficult throws. Because obviously, he has the arm strength and the touch to put it really kind of touch all areas of the field. And he's got this vision. Um, some some people have it, some don't. Um, but it's you know, call it basketball spatial intelligence. Um, wrapped up with processing speed, but he's got that. And and so having the grasp of the offense that he does and knowing where he's supposed to go with the football at all times, and then when things do break down and he has to make a play, like that's what he's he's been doing. And, and you know, I, I think one of the biggest jumps I saw from his junior to senior year in football, just to go back to that for a second, mm-hmm. was – God, just the amount of big plays and the amount of, oh my God, throws that he made as a senior. And I thought his junior film was really good, but his senior film, like that just jumped off the page. Uh, it's a fun went, watch, folks. If, oh, if you haven't
0: watched it yet, go watch it because no it is it is about as good as you'll see a quarterback at play at the high school level. And it's a no lot right. of
1: improvisational
0: stuff, which was yes. really fun to see. Yep, yep. Yep. Um, and, and and I want to shift gears here because we got another quarterback to talk about. He's not on campus yet. He's got his senior season ahead of him. But Ethan uh, I think he turned a lot of heads when he went out to the Elite 11 finals in Los Angeles. He made the Elite 11. He's now a four-star, top 200 overall prospect in our rankings at 24-7 sports. We got an earlier look at him at the State College Regional when he punched his ticket out to Los Angeles. So we've been gathering data on Ethan, I feel like, for a few months now. But you go way back with him. Can you get, take us back to the beginning with Grunkemeyer?
1: Yeah. Um, I started working with Ian, Ethan, the summer of 2021. And when he came up to Cleveland, um, he always, like I saw film of him, but I always get film of kids before they come up and I, I try and understand like, what what is it that they're trying to accomplish and where are they? Um, and he had a really natural stroke, real like clean arm path. And I've been doing this so long and, and, I've had kids who have little to no talent all the way up to, you know, supremely talented kids. So I've had the full gamut. And I start to look at things like, okay, how much time are we going to have to spend on this before we can get to the next thing? And then, and then how does that impact, you know, the third thing that I want to get to. And I just knew I wasn't going to have to spend very much time with his arm path. It was all going to be optimizing what he did by making him much more, um, not only more, um, Tined up, but, but like infusing his rotation with like more juice, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. there's, there's hip rotation and then there's violent, you know, hip rotation, which creates a lot more power and spin off the ball. So when you sort of wrap really good sequencing around that, it just sort of amplifies everything uh, from a, from a throwing standpoint. So I knew that was uh, that was going to be what we would have to focus on with Ethan um, but I, I, I knew right away, OK, this dude loves to work um, and he is serious about being really good. So I could I saw that right away. Um, <clears throat> and then it was, you know, uh, on him uh, to to really focus on his body because he was smaller. Uh, I think we've all seen that come along now. He's a he's on, he's a full six three now. He's pretty muscled up. He just needs to get, you know, bigger. Um, and that's coming. So um, so those are the things that I I I really saw when I first started working out with him. And and uh he's just been a joy to to train because he's so eager to get better, um very intense about uh, about moving the needle every time we get together. So it's pretty cool.
0: And so Mike Yersich uh it comes back to you know, looks up the contact. There's Brad. Let me reach out. They got another one. When did he start? poking around about Gronkenmeyer and and the offer obviously came this spring, but when did those initial dialogue kind of happen?
1: Yeah. uh, I love this story because uh, I mentioned it to somebody else, but um, Mike met Ethan last summer. Ethan continued to stay in touch, right? And so he would send him clips every once in a while. And then last February uh, I'm in state college. I'm training Drew. I'm walking with Mike uh, to the, to the field, the indoor facility, he goes, by the way, um, Ethan sent me film. He, he's, he go, Mike said, he is slinging it. He, he said, does he do that all the time? I'm like, yes, we've gotten it to the point now he's gotten it to the point now where his consistency is insane. And it's as good as anyone I've ever seen.
0: Wow. I mean, yeah. That's saying a lot. That's saying yeah. a lot. And 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 so Mike so- saw it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah.
1: he he could see the progression because Ethan had been sending him films since last summer. Like once a month, he'd just check in. Hey coach, hope you're doing well. Just want you to know, you know, I'm still out here and, and working hard. And you know, he did a great job with really all the programs that were recruiting him doing that. But uh, just hearing Mike like bring that up, and I didn't, I didn't, you know. I didn't, like, address that. I didn't try Mm. and bring it up. Like, he brought it up uh, organically and just said, hey, you know, what's going on here? Does he do this all the time?
0: That was pretty fun. So that unsolicited, you know, uh, comment from, from Mike Yursich, eventually you work your way towards a, a scholarship offer being there for Ethan. Yeah. He commits. How much did Drew's comfort level with the program, relationship with Mike Yursich, and quite frankly, your also by extension familiarity with Penn State. How yeah. much was that a factor for him in being able to wrap this thing up? Because to me, I look like I look at a recruit whose trajectory is clearly on the rise could probably go fish around for more power five offers. And you're coming up on official visit season where he could go visit five campuses and have a blast. He said, now I'm going to shut it down, go with Penn state who offered him about a month earlier before that. Why was it the right thing? And and how much did all the background tie into this decision?
1: Yeah. Everything that you mentioned there played a role. Um, And I know he had a couple of conversations with drew, you know, let, let's lift up the hood. Let's talk, you know, and uh, and th- they were really positive positive. Um, and a different kid as hot as Ethan was getting. And believe me, people were calling from all over. In fact, mm. had he taken a visit to one of these programs that's made the college football national playoffs several times over the last several years, um, he would have most likely gotten an offer and it would have been a big deal. And he said, I don't need to do that. I know where I'm going. I'm going to Penn State. And there was not even a doubt in his mind.
0: And I, I want to mention that not only was he did he do his thing out in the Elite 11, you posted some highlights of him participating at 7-on-7 seven seven at Ohio State 7-on-7. Seven seven. Oh, wow. And yeah. and and when you get a chance to to go to a, a future foes campus, we've seen guys who are going to come back and play Penn State, come to their 7-on-7 seven seven and perform well. Um, so that's always an interesting dynamic of it. But take that aside from it what did, what did we see? Cause this is the latest step in his development, the latest peak toward what he's going to be looking yep. at as, like as a senior.
1: Yep. So one of the things that I've worked with him um, a lot, the last six months is just this idea of relaxing and letting the hips do all the work and not trying to throw hard. He has tremendous velocity. It's one of the, he has one of the best arms in the, in the 24 class. He's I think he's in the top three just in terms of pure velocity and, um, that, you know, that's taken some time because what I, what I've come to know over the years is when I get a smaller kid, they feel like they have to put everything into the football. So that's the way he's learned to throw over the past eight to 10 years. Well, the body's coming around now. He knows how to, uh, you know, sort of be in sequence and, in in. in put himself in a position where the hips are doing most of the work and, and it takes the pressure off of the arm. So watching that all come together in a seven on seven and look, I get it. He's not getting rushed. Um They like, no, I don't think anybody got buzzed for holding the ball too long. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gets it out so fast and on time, but watching him throw with touch and just, you know, layering the football over people, um, you know, Throwing a check down to a back in a real in a real sort of catch-friendly place without a ton of juice on it, knowing when to change speeds on the ball, I, I've I've not seen that uh, from him. Uh, I, I've seen it, you know, when we train, but like in a game environment like that, I mean, the Ethan I saw last year was throwing missiles just about every time he was throwing the football, and he just showed the full array of. Different, you know, speeds, different um, trajectories. I, I, I couldn't be more impressed with, again, granted it's 7-on-7, seven seven, but what I saw.
0: I think in May, maybe in early June, I saw you post a video of Ethan and Drew Playing together and throwing the ball together, going through drills together under your supervision. Yeah. I guess how much of a how about how much pride do you feel in watching those two guys work together and and going back with them a few years and and two, how do they play off each other as you know guys who are going to be in in the same quarterback
1: room this time next year? Yeah, Um yeah, it's I mean, it, it's so fun. Like I, I look at all these kids as like my extended family and my kids like. Uh, cause you just like, you, you want them to do well and you want them to grow and you want them to get better and you want them to see this whole vision of, I'm not just trying to be a great quarterback. I'm trying to eventually apply these things I'm learning and be a great person and be a great business person and, you know, whatever, whatever they're trying to do. So to see them, um, train and, and I, I mean, that was, that was such a fun day because they were both just, you know, lighting it up. Um but seeing them also build this relationship because they you know they actually didn't train all that much because ethan we started the summer of 2021 he started coming to the winter um group sessions on the weekends which is when he would have trained with drew but in 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 the winter of 2022 that's drew left drew was yeah. at penn state so they didn't yeah. train together so drew would come in town he'd go to a couple of those sunday sessions so they would get a chance to to throw with each other but it wasn't like they had all this built up time together um but they become like fast friends real comfortable you know they're both really humble kids so you know it's going to work it's just you know they they have shared interest of of trying to be a great quarterback at Penn State so
0: I wanted to finish our discussion here, which I really appreciated. I think we've learned a lot about both these quarterbacks, but with a third passer to bring up in the conversation, when you were on campus that first week into June, not only was Ethan Drunkomeyer throwing balls, but another one uh, of, of your, of your proteges and in Chase Herbstreet, and people are familiar with the name. I, I know yeah. it turned some heads when we mentioned he was there the son of Kirk Herbstreet, who's yep. probably the most prominent uh, analyst in the college football world right now. Uh, he's at St. Xavier High School. He's a rising junior, and, and yep. that is the same high school program that we once saw Sean Clifford star at and lead at state championship. Yep. So what's the early impression of a player who is going to have, unfairly, a, a lot of attention on him really early in his in his career before he gets a chance to do much? So uh, what do you make of Chase Herbstreet, a guy that we got a bit of a look at uh, early in June here on campus?
1: Yeah, it was really interesting. I um, I have friends down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida who who run a business called Six Points, um, which is a quarterback training business. And it's Danny Thompson and Will Hewlett. And I've known Will he- Will Hewlett basically got me started in quarterback training. He he pulled me into a uh, a, a quarterback training a great quarterback training company um, back in two thousand nine, uh, the Quarterback Academy by Darren Slack. Um, and we've known each other ever since. And and they reached out and, and said, look. Um, we, st- we, we've, uh, we've, we started training uh, Chase. Um, they want to have somebody local that they can train with. Um, you know, we want to introduce you to Kirk and we want to obviously get you involved with, with Chase. And so, you know, this has been really cool because I'm a massive fan of college football. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I really like pro football, but I'm a college football guy. And, you know, it's kind of hard for me not to be a little bit of a fanboy meeting Kirk and just talking with him. But he is like so unassuming and just like just such a good dude, like a guy that you would want to have a beer with. Like he's exactly the way he looks and, you know, acts on TV. That's that's who he is. So that was really cool. Got to meet him. Chase is um, just a special kid because he's all yes sir no, sir. And he's about being a great quarterback like he is down for all the work. He, In fact, he loves to work. In fact, I don't have anyone who, you know, I just laugh when I hear kids say, oh, I want one more. I want one more. And with Chase, one more turns into like 20 more. (laughs) So um, he's talented. uh, He's athletic. um, He's got sense. He's got quarterback sense. And, you know, sometimes you watch somebody in shorts and T-shirts and they look awesome. And then they get into a football game and they're really not that good. Chase is not going to blow anybody away in shorts and t-shirts, but when he's on, when he's between the lines, this dude can play football. And, um, he, uh, from a, from a throwing standpoint, his velocity, his spin, his ball placement, uh, have, has made substantial jumps over the last year. And, um, I think he's got like a tremendous future.
0: Chase Street 2025 prospect out of St. Xavier in Cincinnati. As I mentioned, Sean Clifford, Liam Clifford out of that program. Uh, Brad Mendler of QB Accelerate does a great job working with quarterbacks. As you can tell, as you'll soon see in Beaver Stadium, Brad, we really appreciate your perspective here on, on a, a couple of really impressive young prospects that we look forward to seeing to uh, more of in the years to come.
1: Yeah. Thanks right, for let's... having me on, man. I, uh, this is obviously a lot of fun for me to talk about. So uh, I'm just kind of sitting back here, uh, just enjoying the view and, Uh, watching a little football this fall. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Enjoy the rest
0: of your summer work. And then you'll get to see these guys throw it against defenses uh, come fall. So have fun with that. No doubt. Thank you. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Let's turn our attention to the current Penn State football squad a bit more right now. And to do that, we bring in Lions 24-7 colleague, Daniel Gallen. Daniel, we haven't heard from you in a little bit, so appreciate you hopping on board here. Um, We have some things to catch up on. We're in a bit of a a period right now where there's not a ton of fresh news coming out. Uh, A lot of the Penn State staff is on vacation. I'm going on vacation next week. I guess I'll just mention that. Our podcast will be on a a hiatus for a week, but we've got a lot of things to keep track of and monitor, and it's time for us to start ramping up with our preview coverage of what will be preseason camp starting in in approximately one month. So, Daniel, you ready for some Questions about this team, and you ready to dive into it?
2: Yeah, let's do it. You you put me behind another tough act to follow, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll do my best.
0: Well, I will say before we get to it, that was a tough act, and you got a long look at it. I know you were waiting in our in our green room, we'll call it, for, for a while before we brought you in. What did you take away f- from you know the commentary you heard from Brad over the course of that uh, of our interview?
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought what he was talking about with Drew coming in, uh, in the Purdue game and, and Drew not feeling rushed and and feeling very comfortable. Um, I thought that that was really interesting. And I think that it's one of those things where what we saw from Drew from our kind of less, uh, you know, experienced or less expert eyes matches up with what, you know, someone who knows Drew very well and has really seen him, you know, grow and develop. Um, I think that, you know, having that match up, I thought was interesting. And then, You know, everything he said about Ethan Gronkemeyer is, I thought, really fascinating, uh, especially the way that Gronkemeyer went about his recruitment uh, and reaching out to Mike Yersich and kind of, you know, keeping those coaches in the loop, keeping them engaged. Um, I thought that that was really interesting, and I think it's one of those another thing that shows that it's a bit of a, a two way street with with recruiting, where you know the coaches put in a lot of effort, but at the same time, as a as a recruit and someone who isn't necessarily you know an automatic five star, you kind of have to put in the work too a little bit to to get on the radar to to build these relationships. So I thought that was really interesting. I mean, that those highlights of, of Gronkemeyer at that seven on seven were a ton of fun and I'm I'm really excited to see what he's gonna be able to do for Olin Tanji this fall.
0: Yeah, and, and and we heard uh, Brad Mendler mention the jump that he saw and in, in, from Drew Aller's junior season tape to his senior season type, a- and we're kind of talking about that anticipation. It was very good last fall. You're expecting almost greatness, uh, you know, over the course of this senior campaign based on what he's done this summer throughout the camp circuit. Before we get away from the quarterbacks, though, uh, Brad was quick to point to Danny O'Brien uh, with those recruitments, and and he's not going anywhere. He's got a new role with this Penn State staff. Um, and, and you wrote about it yesterday up at lions247.com.
2: Yeah, I thought that that was uh, one of the you know more interesting changes on, on the staff this offseason. Uh, Danny O'Brien, who spent the past two years as an analyst for James Franklin, uh, he's moving into a graduate assistant role for Penn State. He's going to be one of their four GAs. Um, that means that Danny O'Brien will be able to, to coach on the field during practices. Uh, you know, he'll be able to be a lot more hands-on Um, As opposed to those analyst roles, which are during the season are a little bit more behind the scenes, um, that type of work. Um, I think that it's kind of the the next step um, for Danny O'Brien as he kind of, you know, pivots his career. You know, he played quarterback in the CFL uh, for a very long time, did a little bit of coaching there, uh, joined the Penn State staff in 2021 obviously he and James Franklin go way back to Danny O'Brien's time at Maryland when James Franklin was um, the offensive coordinator there. Uh, I think James Franklin was there for O'Brien's first two years in 2009 and in 2010 uh, when O'Brien was ACC rookie of the year uh, for the Terps. So, you know, I think that, you know, during these, these summer camps, uh, Mike Yersich and James Franklin give Danny O'Brien, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of run, with the quarterbacks, you know, he is, a lot of times in charge of, of those groups, uh, sometimes it's the the main group, sometimes it's a different group, um, but you're able to see the kind of coach that he is um, with his ability to be hands on. And I think that he's someone uh, in the industry whose trajectory is is really pointed up and he'll be able to be the GA for for two years. Um, and I think that this is definitely that that next step for him to becoming a, you know, a full time you know
0: football coach at, at some level. Yeah. Former, former quarterback, uh, Maryland at Wisconsin has settled in well here in happy Valley. We we've heard that over the course of the last couple of years. And, and this, reaffirms that that he'll be a more of a long-term fixture here moving forward beyond 2023 as well. It's, it, you never know who's going to come and go especially when they're, they're at that stage of their career. so this signifies a little bit of a commitment on both sides of, of this of the coin here. Daniel, let's get into it as promised. Uh, put together five questions here. we do have a mailbag this is a little this is unrelated so I'm not I'm not scoffing at our mailbag. I'm suggesting that while we take a week of vacation time, that you stock up that mailbag. Give us all the questions you want to know on resolved recruiting from June, what you want to know about the, the late July recruiting push, and plenty of preseason questions. We have a full roster to dive into. So drop your mailbag questions over at lines 247com It's posted on our thread there at Lions Pride Message Board. But here are five questions that we put together ourselves because that we thought they would generate some good discussion. And the first goes, who are you most excited to see in action when Penn State opens up camp? And, and I'll just do, a, a, I'll steal one of your answers, I would assume, The guy that we just spent the first 15 minutes of this podcast talking about, Drew Aller. Look, we're not gonna get a long look at quarterbacks playing against defensive players. If you followed our practice coverage over the years, you know that's just not something that we're gonna really be able to see much of. But there's something to be said about Sean Clifford not being involved in practices anymore over the course of a preseason camp and what it's gonna look like game to game week. And we're really going to get to see Drew take command, I think, of his offense. We're going to get to see him be verbal out there during our looks. And I just want to see him sling a little bit, whether there's a defender out there or not. Open it up. Let us let us talk about it. Let us write about it. Not sure we'll get a ton in August, but he's got to be at the top of the list because that's where eyes are going to land when we get out on the field.
2: Drew Aller was at the top of my list for who I'm most excited <laughs> to see. Um, I think that when you talk about Penn State football in 2023 and you talk about – You know, the types of players that can really raise the ceiling from where Penn State was a year ago, 11-2, winning the Rose Bowl. Um, I think you talk about elite quarterback play uh, is something that can really take Penn State to that next level. I think that the college football playoff in its 14 format, uh, I think that it's shown that outside of a couple cases here and there, you really have to have elite quarterback play if you want to make it there and if you want to make some noise there. Um, And Aller, you know, five star quarterback, 24 seven sports a top quarterback in the class of 2022. Um, I think that there's a lot of expectations that he can be that type of quarterback. So that's what I'm excited to see. And uh, when I when I made this list answer these questions, he was the first one I wrote down. Sticking
0: on offense, uh, we, we actually got a look at him over at Lift for Life a few weeks ago. But Theo Johnson, who according to the roster, is working his way towards 270 pounds at six foot six, and we already know that he can glide at that size. And the way he finished last season, 20 receiving yards through the first half of the year, and he was one of their primary pass catchers the second half of the season, all the way through the Rose Bowl. It's all put together right there, and it just feels like you got maybe a, a, a pile of dynamite, and you're ready to light it with Theo Johnson. It's felt like that since he emerged on the scene as one of the top tight ends in his class up in Canada, and there was a reason that he was so coveted. Uh, Georgia, Iowa, Michigan, Penn State, down, down the stretch of his recruitment, and they've been able to handle it because of their health at tight end and their strength at tight end. He's been able to develop the right way. He hasn't had to play more than was necessary early on because they had Pat Fryermuth, then they had Brenton Strange, and they've had Tyler Warren along the way. And when he missed some time last year and, and he wasn't all that involved in the passing game, got into mid-October, you started to wonder, is it going to click for Theo Johnson? We got that emphatic answer, and now where he is physically, you combine that with what the production is out there. Availability is important for Theo Johnson, and I have him on this list in a big way because we haven't seen him since the Rose Bowl. Him, and Tyler Warren, both sidelined throughout spring practice, but just watching him out there in a tank top and shorts, I want to see him put the pads on, run some routes, and challenge this defense. I think it's a very good Penn State defense, and I think Theo Johnson is the kind of player who could still find ways to give them headaches throughout the month of August.
2: I think by the time we get to the middle of the season, maybe October uh, in the November, and, and draft analysts kind of do their, you know, refresh of their draft boards, refresh of mock drafts, um, I think that Theo Johnson is someone who has the potential to be in that top 50 range um, you know, getting second round buzz, maybe even first round buzz, depending on how it goes. I mean, I think if he'd come out last year and tested, I think he would have been been gone by day two, um, just or early on day three, maybe. But just based on how he looks and his athletic traits. Um, someone else on the offense I put on this list that I think that you, know, you talk about someone that it, we haven't seen Theo Johnson since the Rose Bowl. I put someone that we haven't seen at all in a Penn State uniform, Dante Cephas. Um, yep. I think that it goes back to talking about Aller and having the ability to really raise the ceiling of this offense. Um, I think that Dante Cephas is a wide receiver. I think he has the potential to do that if he's able to bring those, you know, bring that maybe not all the production from Kent state, because it's really hard to do that in the big 10, <laughs> but if he's able to kind of do what Mitchell Tinsley did last year, um, if he's able to improve on what Mitchell Tinsley was able to do for Penn state last year, um, I think that that helps the Penn State passing attack. Wide receiver was a bit of a question mark this offseason. And if Cephas can answer that, that gives Aller another weapon. And I think that raises the ceiling of the offense a ton.
0: Cephas had nine 100-yard games during the last two seasons for Kent State. We'll see how it translates on a Power 5 field. His first practice at this level is coming up in August. A guy that got a year's worth of practice under his belt, more this spring, but we still don't know where he is right now. But we're hearing things. We're starting to, I think, this pendulum swinging in the last few months about where he is in his development. Caden Saunders, he was the highest ranked receiver out of the five they brought in last year. I'm including Christian Driver with that group, who was a cornerback in 2022. But it's a big group. Omari Evans burned redshirt, no one else did. Omari Evans has locked in a a key piece, uh, maybe a starting role, but definitely at least a rotational role with this receiver group. I don't think we can say the same for any of those other second-year wide receivers to this point. And out of that other group, not just because of his ranking and the speed that he brought to campus when he showed up, but just because of what we've heard about how it's translated on the field. didn't seem like much was translating in, in terms of the testing numbers, in terms of the prospect profile for much of his freshman year as he was working his way through figuring things out. Things started to move in the right direction this spring, but what we've heard this summer and the carryover I think is encouraging. He's a guy I got on this list because I'm excited to see him, not because I think he's going to go out there and dominate and challenge these cornerbacks, but I just want to gauge where Caden Saunders is because here in year two, if we're talking about him being the dynamic field stretching kind of weapon or the guy that you can get the ball to two or three yards away from scrimmage and let him pick up 30 yards because of what he can do with that wiggle and straight line speed, that adds a whole different gear to this offensive attack. And it may not be there for them this year. It might not be there for Caden this year, but it's a big answer that we're going to get, I think. And we'll start to peel back that curtain a bit in August.
2: I also had Saunders uh, on on my list. Uh, I think that you go back to the recruiting ranking and the excitement that he came in with last year based on that recruiting ranking, based on what he was able to do as a high schooler out in Ohio. Um, I think that the excitement for him as a prospect was warranted. Um, And, you know, after making that adjustment, having to change his body a little bit Uh, on the latest roster update, he was up to 180 pounds. Um, And I think that he's someone who had to really kind of rebuild things a little bit. Um, And, you know, the bigger he can get using that speed, being able to hold up against big 10 defenses. uh, I think that that's something that can bode really, really well for him uh, moving forward, but he's someone that I'm very excited to see um, just in action, see how he looks compared to the other wide receivers on the roster. Um, even bringing in Dante Cephas uh, to take to theoretically take one of those upper depth chart spots. I mean, there's still plenty of, of playing time up for grabs. And I think Caden Saunders is in a good position to, to seize on that.
0: And that slot position is particularly compelling because we know Ke- Andre Lambert Smith got a ton of run there in the spring. He told us recently that he's not sure if that will necessarily be the case. It, feel, it might be distributed more outside now that they got Dante Cephas here. Still kind of feeling that out, it sounds like. But then you've got Caden Saunders People are still high on Liam Clifford and what he might be able to accomplish as a redshirt sophomore. Christian Driver was operating in the slot this spring. He's he's a guy that we've heard a lot about uh, him just being fast and aggressive and figuring it out at wide receiver now after year at cornerback. So a lot going on at that position in particular. Um, defensively, look, it, it's littered with talent for, for Manny Diaz and 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 you could go in a lot of directions here, but I'm going to start with the guy who just blew up the blue-white game, deny Dennis Sutton. He put it to those offensive tackles. It was a humbling experience for the offensive line for much of that day, and he was a big reason why. Year two, he was not an early enrollee as a freshman. Remember, he got to campus last summer, and he hit the ground running. I think he had three sacks by the time September was done. Then he was done with sacks, though, and you know, kind of settled into getting 15 to 25 kind of snaps a game the rest of the way as, as a rotational piece. A lot is on the table this year, Daniel. We we know that he's probably not going to start. The starting job is going to go to Diza, Isaac, Chop, Robinson. Chop, Robinson didn't start a game last year either. And I think the night Dennis Sutton has the potential, as if we're going to call him a third or a 2A defensive end, to be, in my opinion, as disruptive, if not more disruptive, than what Chop, Robinson was last year in that role. And you're upgrading the position because in your top three, all due respect to Nick Tarburton, it's a different trio than what you had last year. So... I like the depth at the top of the position. I like I like the depth beyond these guys. Amin Vanover played a lot last year. We shouldn't disc- discount him. But denied Dennis Sutton was a five-star for a reason. One of the most epic Penn State wins in the recruiting uh, trail that they've had under James Franklin, considering who they were in contention with. And I think it really is going to start to, to surface this year for everybody who's watching.
2: Yeah, I think denied Dennis Sutton is a good uh, good place to start. Um, I had two of his position mates on my list that you mentioned Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson. Um, it's a good group. <laughs> I, I definitely. I, yeah, I think with those two, um, they're both at different, you know, for different reasons. You know, Chop Robinson transferred in from Maryland, where he was an outside linebacker. So he's getting his first full se- full offseason as a Penn State defensive end this year. Um, you know, he's put on some weight and he's gotten bigger. Um, you know, he's popped up on some of these draft boards uh, as a buzzy fir- late first round pick. Um, and I think that having this full off season and, and being able to move up into a starting role, I think he's poised to really break out, really put up some big numbers. Um, and then Adisa Isaac, uh, you know, kind of in a similar way to trap Robinson, you know, getting this full off season, you know, he had the torn Achilles that cost him the 2021 season uh, in 2022. He kind of kept talking about, you know, working his way back, you know, getting as close to a hundred percent as he could get. Um, you know, now the fact that he's going to have, you know, a full season uh, of playing under his belt, now a full off offseason, uh, you know, knock on wood healthy.
0: Um, Daniel, think- Daniel, this is his first. This is Adiza Isaac's first. His year five for him. It's his first mm-hmm. full off season of being healthy and, and with a program since he was a January enrollee in 2019 because 2020 got all screwed up by COVID. So you got to mm-hmm. go back to his first year on campus when he had a year like this laid out in front of him. Exactly. So,
2: you know, I think that him being able to have this full ramp up to the season, uh, he's another one on the on the edge who his weight is up, he's gotten a little bit bigger. Um, I'm excited to see what that looks like for Robinson and Isaac to really have those full off seasons. They really have that full preparation and ramp up, you know, going into the season and then to see if this edge group can be as
0: special as we think it might be able to be. Where else do you land on defense as we as we go beyond the defensive end room, which is enticing, but it, it is a really strong group, and we do have other questions to get to. So I don't want to spend too much time on this one, but I mean the linebacker room and the, and Abdul Carter, it, it's he's kind of controlling a lot of the narrative beyond the Drew Aller v- world right now. A lot of it is centered on on what Abdul Carter can become as a sophomore.
2: Yeah, I, I'd Carter on my list for for the obvious reasons. You know, what is he going to do? You know, he's another one. He got here last summer. So he's going to have the full offseason, you know, with Penn State. Uh, He should have, he's going to be a a full time player from week one uh, this year, as opposed to last year where, you know, he was in that reserve role. They had to shuffle the deck a little bit in October and that got him onto the field. Then we saw the breakout. So what can he do hitting the ground running? Um, You know, that's what I'm excited to see. And then the other name uh, in the secondary, uh, Johnny Dixon. Um, I think yes. that he is someone who is is really poised for a breakout. And you know, I'm really curious to see how Penn State is going to use him. You know, we saw him play both on the outside and on the inside last year. Um, you know, Penn State is looking for a versatile piece to move around the defense. What's the prowler package going to look like? Can Johnny Dixon be someone who steps into that Jair Brown role a little bit? Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to see what he can do. It's his third year in the program. Um, Kalen King is obviously going to get a lot of highlights. And I think Johnny Dixon is going to have lots of opportunities. I think it'll be similar to what we saw last year with teams not throwing at Joey Porter Jr. as much, which let Kalen King, you know, put up those insane PBU numbers. Now, you know, maybe teams won't be throwing at Kalen King as much, which is going to give Johnny Dixon a lot of time to shine.
0: Yeah. Dixon's a guy that I've been banging the drum for since January. I'm right there with you. I'm actually going to mention him a little bit later on one of our questions, but uh, yeah, I think he's really primed for a huge final season here with the program. Uh, I'm just going to finish this off. And and by the way, we all want to see Tony Rojas. I mean, what do you got? What do you got in line for us in, in, in act two, act one, was uh, the talk of the town and, and there was a there's a lot of stuff to discuss on this team But when by the, t- by the time we're getting through spring ball We're focused on a freshman linebacker It says a lot about what Tony Rojas did Through his first semester here at Penn State We've talked about a lot about the weight Going from about 195 as a signee To now 225 pounds Coming up on preseason camp And really want to see how much he can Jostle things a little bit Because we kind of felt like we had an idea What this linebacker group would look like Coming out of the Rose Bowl Because of all the players that were retained within this group The only guy who left is Jonathan Sutherland, and yet... Now Tony Rojas, I don't, you, don't want, you don't want to call it a wrench in the plans because it's a good thing, but he kind of opens the door for a whole different way to kind of formulate your linebacker group, implement these guys in different positions, and we've seen the versatility, we've seen some cross training, not just from Rojas but uh, from, from from different players, whether it's Curtis Jacobs or Abdul Carter. So you wonder what it's going to look like, and 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 at the linebacker position, we got some other things to get into uh, later here as well. But let's get into another discussion, and 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 that's the freshman because I'm excited to see Andrew Raplier. I'm excited to see Dakari Nelson, who's six foot three, at least at safety, 205, 210 pounds, at least at safety. Uh, and the other kind of wild card here that I think has really gone under the radar is Cam Wallace. And 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 the way J1 Sider spoke to him, uh, spoke about him to me. Uh, about a month ago when we got a chance to get into team facilities really changed the way I was was, uh, imagining his potential role. We've heard some more feedback from from program facilities about Cam Wallace since then. We've gotten some eyeballs on him as he was kind of hanging around at some of the camps. Physically, he looks like he's pretty well put together. J.J. Juan Slater called him country strong. But the narrative here is that he may be a guy that because he comes from a rural area in Georgia – may have gotten glossed over by some of the, the the heavyweights down there, and Penn State may have gotten a steal, and it might not take us a couple years to find that out. We're talking about a gadget kind of player here. You could see him maybe run some routes. You could see him touch the ball and do some damage. I don't know if it actually comes to fruition for him this fall, but we've discussed it with Trey Potts on board. It doesn't need to happen for these freshman running backs right now. you have got Singleton and Allen at the, at the top of this group, but Wallace is a guy that I think maybe a lot of people wouldn't forecast as a freshman to do much let's just keep tabs on him. I'm excited to see him because he's a guy that we may see a a bit of a blur on the practice field and say, who was that? What number was that? And then we look up the number and say, that's right. Cam Wallace is here. So just some, some freshmen to look at. I think we've already expressed our love for Andrew (laughs) Raplier enough during recent episodes, but this young man, it looks like he's ready to play some big 10 football.
2: Definitely. I think we got a, we had a good look at the, at the early enrollees. And, um, yeah, I think that's something that was interesting about this class is that, you know, the number of really, really intriguing guys that that come this summer. I mean, you talked about with Rappelier, Nelson um, and Wallace. Yeah, I think that those are, are three guys that, you know, seeing them on the field and seeing how it actually stacks up um, against college competition. Um, you know, what does that actually look like? What are they able to do? How do some of these things that we saw on film uh, when they were in high school, how does that right. translate I think that's going to be really, really exciting to see. And
0: we said Dakari Nelson with his uh, remarkable physical stature. Wow, he sure looked like a defensive back at the high school level against high school competition does that translate against big 10 competition, high level power five competition, or do we start to see, well, maybe he is a linebacker. All we've heard so far is this guy's a defensive back, but I think we'll pr- figure out pretty fast as he goes up against Mike Yersich's bunch, how exactly he may fit in in year one. Uh, let's get into another question. Which players are not being discussed enough right now ahead of camp. And I guess part of that would be our fault as we are the Penn State football discussers. Uh, but but where do you go? What direction? I think it's going to be a shorter list, but uh, who do you kind of land on, uh, in terms of maybe under the radar at this stage?
2: First name that popped up to me was Keaton Ellis uh, at safety. Mm. You know, that's a room that has so much talent. Uh, You know, you talk about, you know, the eight guys that you can talk about in there. um, And a lot of them are younger, um, you know, and kind of, you know, intriguing, you know, you know, KJ Winston got so much buzz, Dakari Nelson has so much buzz, um, you know, Jalen Nelson
0: or Taki Wheatley is the takeaway king. So exactly.
2: Um, so, you know, I think that Keaton Ellis, you know, by virtue of that and also the fact that you know, he's a fifth year guy, he's been around for a while. Um, you know, he's seen a lot come and go. Um, I think that that's something that can really cause him to, to fly under the radar um, a little bit. But he's going into his third year um, of playing safety after beginning his year, beginning his career as a cornerback. You know, when you talk to him at the Rose Bowl, he cited the opportunity to come back for another year to get coached by Anthony Poindexter as kind of a, a driving force for him to take the fifth year. Um, so I, I think that Keaton Ellis is in a position to, you know, maybe not necessarily take over you know, that Jair Brown role on the field. But I think that we're going to see him on the field a lot. You know, I think that with his comfort in the defense, he'll be able to make some plays. And then just from an intangible standpoint, you know, he's a team captain um, already. So I, I think that that kind of speaks to, you know, what, you know, what he's able to do, you know, the respect that he has within the team and, you know, the role that he's going to have. So I think that he's someone that, you know, it's really easy to talk about, to get caught up in Jalen Reeds, Key Wheatley, KJ Winston, Makai Flowers, Tyrese Mills, King Mack, Kari Nelson, you know, that long <laughs> list. But I think that starts at the top with, with Keaton Ellis right now.
0: Great point that he was named the captain. That almost escaped my mind. One of the three team captains coming out of spring ball. The hometown kid spent his first two years at cornerback, spent his third year banged up for the most part uh, and emerges as a, as a safety starter last year. Although I think we've talked about this, very much distributed beyond Jair Brown, who had like 300 more snaps than everybody else. And then you had three safeties of pretty much landing in the same uh, realm by the end of last season. Um, over on the offensive line, I, I truly do believe we're going to see seven, eight guys involved in September, much like we did last year. I don't think we're going to see five outright starters and then everybody else is on the sideline for the entire game. And with that in mind, I'm going to point to a couple guards that I'll be monitoring over the course of August, uh, certainly. J.B. Nelson and then Vega Yoane, both in year two with the program. Nelson made the jump as one of the top-ranked junior college offensive linemen from Lackawanna College last year, uh, did a great job transforming his body, lost a bunch of bad weight, then built up some good weight. By the end of the season, a guy who had only played tackle going into coming into his Penn State career, was feeling at home at guard. And I know that Phil Troutwine, uh, just as recently as last month, you know, told me, look, he's a guy who can kick out and, and he's gonna be in competition to maybe be that fourth tackle. We've talked about freshman Javen Williams taking that job, but Jamie Nelson's another guy that has the versatility. But I want to know if 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 Lennon Tangwall enters this season as your no doubt about it, starter at left guard. Or is it like last year where Landon Tengwall gets the first two or three series, and then we see by design J.B. Nelson gets involved. Last year, that was Hunter Norzad's job. But if you recall, Hunter Norzad missed a matchup against Central Michigan. And even with him out, we saw J.B. Nelson rotating in with Landon Tengwall. It wasn't like all the reps went to Landon Tengwall. Later in the season, with Hunter Norzad injured in a game against Indiana, we saw a lot of work go to to J.B. Nelson. So while Nelson took a redshirt last year, he did get some significant experience in two matchups, and along the way, it was varsity reps it with the practice squad. So I want to see what happens with him on the left side, and then Vega Ioane, you know, just a redshirt freshman at this stage, but he's one of the more physically advanced linemen on this team since he set foot on campus last year from the Pacific Northwest. James Franklin's go-to line with him is, "No one's ever carried 360 pounds so well, or whatever weight he is that day." And it's certainly true. What I would love to see is to get some extended look at this thing in action, this freight train on the practice field, and see what it looks like going up against what I think we agree is a very deep and athletic defensive front. So we've heard good things from defensive linemen about Vega Ioane and what he presents in these matchups. Uh, Salim Wormley, really impressive to see him come back from an injury, start every game last season. That was his job. But I think, you know, you're trying to figure out how do you maximize this team? Uh, situationally, one guy may present something that the other cannot. And I think Vega Ioane over, over the course of August and, and I think maybe seeping into September, that's an area where those two offensive linemen, Nelson Ioane, not a lot of talk about them right now. They could have very important uh, roles for the success of an offense that has playmakers across of it.
2: I stayed on the the offensive line for for my other pick on this one. And, and I went with Hunter Norzad. Uh, you know, making that switch from from guard to center, um, you know, he's got some big shoes to fill. You know, G. Scruggs mm-hmm. really, really manned that spot well last year. G. Scruggs was the constant with all of those injuries, all those moving parts around him um, over the course of the season, and you know, he played his way uh, into being a second round pick um, in the NFL draft uh, in, in April. So, you know, I think that you know Hunter Norzad, I think that you know we have every reason to believe. That he's going to be able to, to step into that role, you know, he's getting the the full off season after transferring in from Cornell. He got valuable experience last year at guard. You know, he has been working at center, um, you know, since he's been here. But you know, I, I think center isn't necessarily a, a plug and play position based on all the communication that goes into it. Um, I think that there is a learning curve there. Um, you know, Hunter Norzad, Ivy League guy. You know, definitely smart enough to handle it. I believe that he'll be able to handle it, but I think that that's a uh, you know another storyline to, to keep in mind and another you know pretty big change uh, on the offensive line. Uh, you know when you talk about this team in 2023.
0: Yeah, Ivy League brain for Hunter Norzad and also just brute strength, one, one of the <laughs> yeah. stronger members of this, of this roster as well. And, and also names to know at center, new addition by way of Duke, uh, formerly recruited by Phil Troutline up at Boston College. Addison Penn has come in uh, as a reserve walk on, and, and Nick Dawkins is the other name to know uh, whether he's maybe going to step up uh, next year as that guy or whether he factors in this year to be determined. But he's in year four now is Nick Dawkins. He missed last season with an injury, also playing at center. I, I was just going to go to Johnny Dixon here really quick. I want <laughs> Spend much time because mm-hmm. you you did. I, I think. I don't think he's being discussed enough in terms of this defense. If you went to the average Penn State fan and said, list every Penn State defensive player you're excited to see this season, it would take too long, in my opinion, for them to get to Johnny Dixon. And and, and that says a lot about the the talent that is assembled on that side of the football right now. But I think because of what has happened at the cornerback position with, with Joey Porter Jr. being an All-American and then Kalen King being the ascending All-American next man up, and along the way you've added these shiny blue-chip players, well, Johnny Dixon has become a much different defender than he was when he arrived here from South Carolina. And at this stage, I mean, along the way last year, I thought I was just as impressed as his work near or behind the line of scrimmage as I was in what he was able to do in covering the, uh, covering passes downfield and tracking receivers. And I think that combination and what you said about the role that we saw Jair Brown fill last year and the way you can kind of fill the stat sheet in different ways and and find yourself with nosing the football, different areas of the field that you may not necessarily attribute to a defensive back. And in this case, a cornerback, That may be what you get from Johnny Dixon. And by the time we get through the regular season, won't surprise me at all if we're saying he's one of the five, six most important players on this defense. Because he's a guy to me that they want the best 11, I don't see him leaving the field a lot this fall. And there's going to be times where they mix it up and he will, but I think he's going to be one of those staples. And they're not going to be a lot of staples on this on this defensive unit because of all the rotations that are going to be in place. I think he's going to stick on the field a lot. So I got him on this list. You had him on the last list. And maybe now he's being discussed enough then, Daniel Gallen. Um, let's show let's go over to the position battles. We've alluded to them a little bit here, sprinkled them in the conversation. Not every position battle is gonna be sewn up by the time we get to mid-August. James Franklin has not told us who the quarterback one is. I think we know who it's going to be. There are. Uh, I don't think the quarterback uh, competition's on this list, although it wouldn't surprise me if we don't hear who the quarterback is from James Franklin until maybe August 20th or somewhere in that range. But in terms of the position battles that we think are really going to grind it out and, and maybe go into the regular season, where do you kind of forecast that? I went with the offensive line.
2: Uh, I think you did a really nice job laying out. uh you know, the number of players that they have there, the guys that they're going to want to see um, in action. And, you know, we saw last year the, the willingness to use a rotation, you know, pretty deep into the season with Landon Tangwall, Hunter Norzad at left guard, Caden Wallace, Bryce Hefner at, at right tackle. Um, you know, I think that that's something that, you know, we're going to see again this year just based on the numbers that they have there, the talent that they have there. Um, you know, I think that if you want to narrow it down a little bit on the offensive line, you know, I think that right tackle battle, uh, is something that could extend into the season, um, you know, based on trying to, to rotate guys, feel out what you have there with Caden Wallace, with Drew Shelton, um, you know, what does that actually look like? But, you know, I think that, you know, we're going to get into, you know, through September and there, we're going to have seen a lot of, um, a lot of offensive linemen, play a lot of snaps i mean i think that the really the the two guys that you know i don't see you know budging off their spots really are olu fashionu at left tackle for obvious reasons um and then hunter norzad at center um you know it's really really tough to to rotate a center um you know based on the communication that that goes in there but you know it wouldn't be a surprise to see um you know another rotation at left guard kind of like you laid out you know Will Sal warmly. rotate with someone at right guard to get, you know, someone reps in there and then right tackle? So I went right to the offensive line uh, on this one.
0: Yeah, and, and, you, and you throw in the fact that they bring in four blue-trip freshmen, including a five-star and and, and a couple other uh, big-time prospects who were already on campus in January, and there's just so much competition for, for Phil Troutwine's room that it's in a really healthy spot right now coming off of the 2022 season and what they're building now. Um, in the defensive line room, I think you look at the interior, the defensive tackle, uh, P.J. Mustafer is gone, but there's such a mix of, of experience and guys on the rise. You know, The emerging player, like a Zane Durant, who's now in his sophomore season, has put on Weight feels like he's more equipped to be an every down guy who can cover the run and rush the passer he was more of a pass rush defensive lineman last season uh, as a freshman who did impress and played in all 13 games and then you've got an addition in alonzo ford who upon the last uh, roster update he's 10 pounds or so heavier than when he was at old, listed at old dominion at least started every game the last couple season with the monarchs under ricky ronnie's leadership and now he makes a jump up to, to uh, power or power five conference and kind of like Cephas a lot of track record at the group of five. What does it look like here? Um, And then you think about three guys who have played really, uh, it feels like they're kind of starters reps over the last few seasons. A lot of experience in the Big Ten trenches with Devon Elise, uh, with Akeem Beeman. Um, and, and and then you've got uh, just a bunch of interesting guys, I think, with Devon Townley. Uh, so I, it's hard. Caleb Artis, year two. He's the heaviest guy of the group by 18 pounds. So uh, what do you make of, of, of that group? I know I threw like nine names your way, and I know I'm, I'm convinced I'm missing at least one. Oh, Jordan Vandenberg has generated some buzz guy who's had an international journey to get to this point. And Kaziah izard that was the name that, that stuck to me. He missed the first month of last year. We don't know why it happened, but by the time he got through the season, he was one of their most impactful defensive tackles, if not the most impactful guy, uh, by the time they got through November. So, man, a lot in play there. Deion Barnes is going to be sorting through them. It, it's one of those things where I'm not necessarily concerned about the result because there's enough talent there where I think that the cream will rise and it'll be a good group. But I think you're just like – What's it going to look like when we get out there on the practice field in August? And, of course, when you get into September, who's going to be the guy that, that, that gobbles the, the snaps and doesn't leave? And who are going to be the guys that, that come in for five, 10 snaps and, and then go away for a while?
2: Yeah, I think defensive tackle was the, the other spot that popped up uh, for me after offensive line. I think that you just have such a variety of body types uh, that you, you should be able to account for almost any, uh, any situation, any scenario. Um, you know, I think that Penn state has done a nice job of, of building that room. Um, even if it doesn't necessarily look the way that I think some people would like it to, but, you know, I think that that defensive tackle group is in you know, a good position to kind of, like you said, let the cream rise to the top, you know, see who the guys are that can, that can really produce. And, and I feel like that that's a thing that really does need to be settled, um, on the field. You know, I think that, Doing it in practice, I think, is good. But, you know, I think that we'll see how the rotation changes and evolves, you know, going from West Virginia to Delaware to Illinois. I think that, and then with Iowa, I think that that stretch of four games is going to be really intriguing to see, you know, which guys are getting time, you know, how this rotation changes, you know, who disappears, who comes back, who starts. Um, it's going to be really fun to watch. And I think that that's something in October that we could see. You know, two different guys starting that that we saw against West Virginia in September.
0: We won't re-talk our way through all the receiver conversation that we, we did earlier, but obviously that's a room the, the, the that's a competition that's going to be going on throughout the season when you talk about the young, hungry talent in there, where guys uh, can you get to six? I mean, that's the key here. James Franklin has hammered that home for years now. Um, they felt like they, they were you know coming out of spring with maybe three with, with Omari Evans in terms that he would publicly say, give his t- stamp of approval to. We'll find out. You know, Malik McLean has a semester under his belt. He's a different-looking receiver. Malik uh, Mega, a different-looking receiver. Can he put it together? Is he just really a special teams component? Is Liam Clifford going to be a viable option as a, as a regular contributor for you, um, or is he just going to be another guy? Are you going to have uh, like the Caden Saunders, Anthony Ivies of the world, at least two or three of them, step up and say, I'm here now, get me the ball, feed me, I'm ready, or is it a group where you're still in wait-and-see mode? And it's a new coach who didn't recruit a lot of these guys to campus. So a lot to figure out at wide receiver. And I I would just say probably pretty important that we emphasize that Drew Shelton should not be taken for granted this year, considering what he did last year. It said a lot about his development, about his prospect profile coming in as a top 24, seven talent, putting on that weight, the coaching of Phil Troutline. He started those final five games and, and and you were really able to weather a, a huge blow in losing an all American quality tackle. But now he's moved to the right side, um, remember last year he's, he's he's working on the left he's working on the left and he gets a chance to play on the left in games uh, Phil Trotwine told us recently that they're trying to get him five reps in the left side for every 10 he takes on the right but it's a learning curve we we, we knew that going through spring ball we heard it from Drew Shelton himself we heard it from the staff Caden Wallace talked about it uh, he was trying to bring him up to speed even though he's competing with him for the job so really curious to see what that looks like this summer because you know we know Caden Wallace has played a lot of football. There's a large sample size there right now. Um, and I think people have their expectations for what and who Caden Wallace is in year five. Um, we'll see if he could buck that trend. He's talked about taking the next step. There's been a talk about dedication taking to the next level here as a year five guy. Does that come to fruition? I just know that last time we saw both those tackles who were competing for the right tackle job, it was a humbling day for them in, in the blue-white game against a high-quality defensive end group. and 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 so you don't want to see that Continue into September, I'm not sure they'll they'll face a better defensive end group for much of the season, but um, a lot to learn there, I think, at right tackle. And much of the same at, at, at Mike, where it's it's the Mike linebacker position, where you've got components and competitors here who have played extended snaps in Big Ten football. We, we kind of know who they are a bit as Nittany Lions, but who's going to be the starter, who's going to win the job, and who's going to help you chase a championship? And you've got Tyler Elston, who we didn't see during spring ball. He was working his way back from injury. And You've got Kobe King, who – while Ellsdon was the starter last year, King probably played about 40% of the snaps at the mic position. And then the elephant in the room here for me with the spot is, is Abdul Carter start to impose his will at the mic position when Manny Diaz blends things up, tries to work in all his most, most valuable weapons on the field at the same time. What does that mean for the mic position? So I would just say right tackle Mike linebacker, a little bit correlated because they involve, you know, veterans. I know Drew Shelton's only in year two, but guys that we've seen play extended, but, we're not quite sure who's going to emerge and, and who's going to be ready to shine because you don't just need starters who are good enough to, you know, to, to not be a problem for you. If you want to win a big 10 title, you need your Mike linebacker position and your right tackle position to be, you know, above average performances.
2: Definitely. I think that the Mike linebacker is, is going to be one that you know, is, goes into the season again. You know, I think that last year, you know, we never really got the, you know, the true answer on, on who won that competition. Uh, between Tyler Ellsden and Kobe King, because we saw so much of them, um, you know, they can do different things. The emergence of Carter really gave Manny Diaz some flexibility um, with how he was able to use the linebackers. Um, And like he said, you know, if Carter can play the mic, that changes things a little bit, that definitely changes the calculus. Um, But, you know, I think that that's another position that I think that the fact that King and Elsdon showed last year that they could rotate through, and the communication did not seem to lack much, um, I think that speaks to both of those guys' abilities. You know, to kind of be glue guys
0: in the middle of the defense at the mic spot. I know I promised five questions, but we went so hard on these first three questions. that I think that's just going to be okay for this episode. We've got more summer. To, 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 we have plenty more summer to talk about this Penn State team. A few more uh, looking forward questions to get to here on the podcast. But Daniel, fun stuff. you know, Starting to, to recalibrate our coverage a little bit going from the prospect camp part of the schedule and you know, kind of uh, the post-spring uh, autopsy of this team. Now we're getting into it, man. This, 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 this group is working together uh, away from facilities, within facilities, and we're going to get to the chance to see it in about a month. And, and then from there, we're about four weeks away from West Virginia coming to town, and then it's really buckle-up time. But, Daniel, appreciate you breaking it down for me, uh, for us and, and, and for me, and uh, also you know, going to step away from a week. So hopefully this episode was jam-packed enough to, to give people plenty to chew on until we're back with another episode the week of uh, July 17th.
2: Big Ten Media Days is in three weeks, so we're we're getting closer. That unofficial start to football season, we're creeping up on it, and uh, it's getting it's getting pretty exciting for what Penn State could be in 2023.
0: That's right. Yes, yeah, still to come in July, uh, Big Ten Media Days. We've got Lash Bash festivities coming here as well. Big recruiting event. We've got a big camp to cover here on campus as well. Daniel, appreciate all the hard work. People can catch your coverage at lions247.com. Thanks for having me, Tyler. All right. Great stuff from Daniel Gallen. Uh, Brad Mendler was fantastic earlier, breaking down the quarterbacks, uh, current and future uh, in Ethan Gronkemeyer and Drew Aller. So a lot to look forward to here in the summer as we shift gears towards preseason coverage in just a little bit, as mentioned, stepping aside for a week, going to take my kid to the beach for a week and and try to unplug from all things for just a little while, be back, recharged and, and hyped up to talk about this Penn state football squad and whatever else is happening on the recruiting trail. Some key decisions coming up in the next coming days, over at lions247.com, Tyler Calvaruso, Brian Doan, Steve Wolf and company will have you locked and loaded with everything you need to know about Nittany Lions recruiting in the coming week. We'll rehash it all when we get back here on the podcast. For now, stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast.